Hey folks, let's spend some time with friends up north. Pat Kreitlow of Up North News is on Lake Wissota. Sarah Yacoub with the Monaco Brewing Company Super Pack is on the Mississippi River. And up on Lake Monaco is Kirk Bangstead of the Monaco Brewing Company. Wherever you are, welcome. You're up north. Won't you let me die? Hello and welcome to the Up North Podcast. I'm Kirk Bangstead and you see a bed in back of me because I'm in Minneapolis trying to sell beer. To uh, to progressives in Minneapolis. So, how how you doing, Pat? How you doing, Sarah? Uh, oh, I am good. Uh, I'm Sarah Yaku. Welcome, everyone. The sleepy sounding person on the show this week is Grandpa Pat, who got back in the middle of the night from an out of state visit to welcome his fourth grandchild into the world. Pat, are you awake? No, no. I'm. Re- <laughs> I told you guys I finally hit the showers about five o'clock this evening. I, I drove back uh, all night last night to get back here so I could get back to work. But um, I have two adult daughters and, and now each has uh, two kids and one of them is our, our brand new granddaughter. So I still can't believe I'm I, I have four grandchildren, but at least now one of them's a granddaughter. So that's that's pretty cool. But a um, little, little tiring. Grandpa's tired. But we'll, uh, we'll we'll work our way through this. So thank I want to thank everybody for their kind words. Um, let's see. On the show this week, some local politics. Uh, we'll tell you a unique story of how one man's journey to redemption was thwarted by a county up north. We will get into the April 5th elections that are now less than two weeks away. And early voting is now open for races that include a lot of school board contests, county boards, things like that. But we have to start with the fall elections because of a decision handed down today by the U.S. Supreme Court that throws out the new legislative maps agreed upon by the Wisconsin Supreme Court, which is why you see Crute here if you're watching the video version. Uh, But for the radio folks, say hi, Crutey. Hey there. Hey. Yeah, because you've been talking about this uh, on, on the radio throughout the day as well. And I wish I wish I were kidding about the reason why. Uh, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled the way they did, but in this day and age, there is no shame from the people who are embracing everything from Jim Crow to Vladimir Putin. The reason the court's right-wing justices agreed with state Republicans who are unhappy because the new maps have seven assembly districts with black majorities rather than six. That's right, folks. Too many black majority districts with the and the Republicans, without a trace of irony, claim that is racial gerrymandering, Kirk, Crute, Sarah. Um, I, I could say more, but I'm just, you know, I just want to leave it, hang it, hang there and let any one of you jump in. Crudy, jump in. We got two minutes. You've been talking about this longer than we have. Yeah, reverse racism seems like a very strange reason uh, for the uh, ruling of the U.S. Supreme Court. And it was a split ruling in this regard. The congressional maps, uh, they were upheld. So we're done. We've got congressional maps, but surprisingly, the federal maps upheld by the federal courts, but the U.S. Supreme Court federal court decided to wade into the state court uh, and to overrule the Wisconsin Supreme Court and effectively say they they erred. I think it was the specific language they used. They said that the state court, the Hagedorn decision, uh, the four three state court decision effectively, as as mentioned by Pat, um, gave consideration to the growing Black population in Milwaukee and added a seventh district. By contrast, the Republican map only offers five districts. And if you looked at Hagedorn's prior ruling, the one that they used 
uh, to make this incredible, whatever you call it today. Um, Hagedorn said effectively he felt like the 7th District was permissible, but it wasn't the only reason they came to that conclusion. They looked at it in its totality. The U.S. Supreme Court held the state court to a different standard and threw out the state maps. That was the federal court, if I didn't mention that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so now it means that the state Supreme Court either has to come up with new reasons to use the map submitted by Governor Evers or consider one of the other submissions. So complete chaos, even though we're just 23 days away from when candidates can start filing nomination papers. So, Crudy, hang around. We'll talk more about this in just a sec um, and and get into the April 5th elections as well uh, right after this break. You're up north. Welcome back to the Up North podcast. In this segment, we're going to talk about the upcoming local elections for city councils, town boards, county boards, school boards, judgeships, and more. And my dogs are very excited about this. But first, we're going to talk a little bit more about what's going on with the U.S. Supreme Court and their seemingly bizarre decision today. Crew, what can you tell us about some of the reactions to this? Well, I'd like to bring the reaction of Eric Holder, the former Attorney General of the United States. Uh, he's been part of the National uh, Redistricting Committee. Uh, anyways, here's his statement. Today's court action in Wisconsin is grounded in an unprecedented process and a failure to adhere to precedent. Just last month, the court's conservative majority wrongly claimed it was too close to an election for a federal district court to remedy a violation of the Voting Rights Act in Alabama an action that would have benefited Black Alabamans. Today, the court took a contrary position when it acted as close to the time of an election with the effect of harming Black Wisconsin voters' meaningful participation in the political process. This unprecedented act and inconsistent application of judicial power are manifestly and sadly undemocratic. I couldn't have said it better than the former AG. Well, and it certainly is in keeping with uh, the same bunch who said it was, you know, too soon to for the Republican Senate to confirm a Supreme Court nominee during one election year. But, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's body was barely, you know, cold by the time they rammed Amy Coney Barrett's nomination through. So when they say, you know, there's no time or there's just enough time. Uh, you know, Kirk, they've, they've kind of laid bare their game here. You can't trust that. It's 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 BS. It's whatever works for them. So I think we're all going to, you know, history books will show that uh, the day that if, if democracy does fall, the day that democracy fell was when was when Mitch McConnell didn't allow Merrick Garland. Uh, you know, we blocked Merrick Garland's nomination to the to the U.S. Supreme Court for like 200 days uh, and, 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 and somehow managed. And I, I read today, like, like packing the court, packing the Supreme court. The only person that has ever been able to pack the Supreme court was Mitch McConnell by having an eight court, eight person Supreme court for almost a year because he blocked a legitimate Supreme court nominee, which would have made this situation today completely untenable. It wouldn't have happened. There would have been real justices in the Supreme Court as opposed to political hacks. Well, and 
it's got to be said though, Merrick Garland could really have redeemed this whole process if he were, I don't know, a living, breathing attorney general who was doing a damn thing. Uh, not to say that maybe he isn't behind the scenes, but I'm tired of trusting it. I'd really like to know that there's actually something going on in the United States Department of Justice, but that's a discussion for another day. Uh, you know, crude, anything else on the, you know, the Supreme Court decision today? We, we've established, you know, that the time matters not. It depends on, you know, what side of the political fence it's on. We've established it's, you know, the, the congressional district lines, those will stand. There's no news as far as when the state Supreme Court will, will take this up again. Mike, is there any, any indication from you that, uh, have you heard anything that indicates we're going to see some action on this anytime before April 15th, when the nominating papers are supposed to go out for these legislative races? Well, I think there'll have to be expedited action. Here's what I fear. Uh, we've already seen the governor's map effectively rejected by the U.S. Supreme Court, the map of least change. But the U.S. Supreme Court didn't didn't care about the criterion set by the Wisconsin Supreme Court in their earlier 4-3 ruling when Hagedorn ruled with the conservatives. Um, so here's my fear. It's a binary choice. There is no porridge is, is perfect uh, uh, sort of solution to this. If we'll recall, the Republican legislative map tried to pack into five districts the majority minority. There is no six-district map. In what would seem to be indicated, uh, this re-examination of the Voting Rights Act, what the court instructs the Wisconsin Supreme Court to do is go take a harder look and see if you could effectively get by with six districts. Well, that's not what's being proposed by the alternative. And I think we'll see the true colors of the court if they effectively, and I mean the U.S. Supreme Court, if effectively a five-district majority-minority map is acceptable to them under the VRA, but a seven-district map that would have majority-minority is not acceptable. That would be a real change for the VRA. There, there is one, uh, there's at least one voice out there thinking that maybe the, the Evers maps aren't entirely dead. And uh, Kirk, you advanced this or forwarded this to me from, from Law Forward, the, the group that, uh, one of the groups that was fighting for fair maps. And the statement uh, ends with, to be clear, this decision does not force the state Supreme Court to draw different maps. It asks them to go back and show its work in the written decision it issued. We are confident that the evidence we provided in the record gives the justices the information they need to support their reasoning for choosing Governor Evers' maps. Uh, Crude, I'm not sure that that's the route they're going to take, and it sounds like you're not confident it'll go that way either. No, I think they're they're being forced almost to take a differing decision. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, we know what Hagedorn said prior. He said, you know, it may be permissible, the seven district minority, uh, majority minority districts may be permissible, but he specifically said five districts are probably not permissible. He said then it's prior ruling. So if it's a binary choice, is it Evers maps or the Republican maps? My fear is they've already rejected Evers maps. We're going to get stuck with the worst case scenario, Republican maps. Mm -hmm. I, I, I just wanted to uh, mention as well that Something that uh, Matthew DeFore is the state politics editor for the Wisconsin State Journal and, you know, made note that let, let's be clear about what we're talking about here. We're talking about the difference between six districts with greater than 55 percent black majorities 
or seven districts with like 51 to 53 percent black majorities. Every other case that's involved the Voting Rights Act has been mindful that the Voting Rights Act was put in place to make sure that you couldn't dilute that number down to zero districts. It's probably never been used to say, oh, you have too many black majority districts, which again, just leads to the, you know, the unprecedented nature of, of what we're living through. here. Reverse racism that was never intended by the Voting Rights Act. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, so, Kroot, I, thanks for the for the insight on it. Uh, I know you spent a lot of time on it. We sure appreciate it and look forward to visiting again. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Uh, all right. Have a have a great rest of your night here. Uh, let's turn our attention now to uh, the April 5th elections instead. Now, these are ostensibly nonpartisan races. Uh, they've become less and less nonpartisan all the time, especially in the, the social media age. But, you know, there there's a, a whole, you know, we'll, we'll let. We'll get into some of the county board uh, races with Kirk and Sarah in a second. Let me say this much about the school board races, because we had a story uh, at Up North News, uh, upnorthnewswi.com, where we spoke with uh, Heather Dubois-Bornan from the Wisconsin Public Education Network about this statewide phenomenon of uh, Republicans uh, enraged about, you know, the fake issue about critical race theory. Uh, you know, there's pornography in schools and in, in the library, whatever boogeyman they can find as a way to attack school board candidates who are supporting public education. And I wanted to say there's actually an update to the story that we posted Monday. It started with reporter Julian Emerson describing how an Eau Claire school board meeting earlier this month required a police presence because of adults acting like spoiled brats or worse. And it was a feeling of deja vu, Julian describes, because the same thing had happened at an Eau Claire school board meeting six months ago. Well, the update is the meeting this week needed a police presence because the school board president got a death threat by email saying the board was, quote, promoting the horrific radical transgender agenda and that it's now time to declare war on you pedos. I'm going to kill you and your entire family. I mean, just stuff straight out of, you know, the QAnon cult. And that's really what the point I want to make on school board elections is we are becoming more and more surrounded by zombies and that conservatives and Republican politicians have got to stop coddling them. Uh, And so Heather is one of those voices pushing back, reminding people that, you know, ramping up conservative votes is entirely the motive behind this, create a false sense of distrust in our schools and shift attention away from the many ways we are failing to support educators and students. It is, in her words, a very well-coordinated disinformation campaign and, you know, Kirk and Sarah, I, I would imagine you're about to say the same thing about some of the other local races that um, there's more coordination than ever on these things. And, you know, there's more than a little bit of, of misinformation that's being, uh, you know, heaped onto the voters out there. So, yeah. So, so Pat, what you said is all correct. And I believe that uh, the Republican Party is, is using uh, now as a you know they used to use abortion and guns as the uh, the wedge issue to gain votes now they're using school and education which which is just abominable um so we're going to we're going to pivot now from public school the public school elections are happening the same time as the county board elections we had uh we had you know basically we had Hans uh Brighton Mosier on as a guest to talk about gerrymandering a few months ago and 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 we were completely surprised when he started talking about how there was another uh, conservative uh, push to f- pack 
uh, county board, county boards with folks that had no, that could care less about fixing the potholes, could care less about good government, could care less about uh, making sure the water was clean, that only had one reason uh, to be a member of the county board, and that was to make sure that the next election uh, fell the way that they wanted it to fall, you know, at a local level. And so th when when we heard this as a group, you know, we, we all had we all heard Hans say this. Sarah and I got back and we're like, well, you know, we got a super PAC. I think this is important. Let's think about what we can do to, you know, to to try to even the playing field, to try to fight back uh, with this thing that just seemed like the opposite of what good government and, and county board, you know, stuff should be. So, Sarah, explain what we've done as a super PAC. You're the executive director. What have we done as a super PAC in the last three months to, to try to combat this? Sure. So, you know, there's a lot of ground to cover. So we tried to focus on three counties where we thought we could be most effective. Um, so we took a look at Lincoln County, Lincoln County, Oneida County and St. Croix. And what we did was Basically really because at, I'm in Oneida County, you're in St. Croix County yes. and Hans was in Lincoln County. <laughs> right. Well, that makes it makes sense, too, as well. But the idea is that, you know, lifting up the candidates who are really there for the right reasons, you know, not to quote The Bachelor, but, you know, people who are interested in good government in a rubber to road functional decisions of making a county work. Uh, who are there not with an agenda uh, for any extremist purpose, but there because they understand what public service means. So we generated radio ads uh, that are going out actually today through election day, and you can find them on your local radio stations that serve uh, St. Croix County, Oneida, and Lincoln counties. And the hope is that we can turn people out to vote. This is a low voter turnout election. And, you know, with this QAnon cult, um, you know, if they turn out big enough numbers, they can effectively take over our county boards, which is going to be an absolute disaster. Uh, these are not people who are interested in doing the work. They're people who simply have an agenda, as Kirk says. Yeah. So, and that, let me jump in, Kirk, to say that I, I spoke to a school board candidate today in Brown County. And because when you mentioned, uh, you know, the advertising end of things and he wondered uh, as, as we were talking, why it was that the, the conservatives in, in Brown County, the activists were like flooding this particular school district with flyers, like, you know, 20,000 flyers out there. You know, how, how could that be effective? The point I made to him and I wanted to make here as well is that's by intent. It's not just to get people out to vote. It's also to try to, to, get people to not vote. And that includes making people go, "Ugh, this is so ugly. I don't want any part of it. And so I say, stay home. And so Sarah, that's where I want to salute you and, and Kirk for actually trying to get people to go out and vote. Cause Kirk, that's, that's the only way this, this changes is if people yeah. go vote. Yeah. So, you know, usually super PACs do terrible things, you know, like the whole, the whole thing of a super PAC, you got, you got the Koch brothers flooding the airways with negative ads. You got, you know, other, you know, these probably in Brown County, it's terrible negative ads. So what Sarah did was make really nice, positive ads that just said, these are the voters uh, that are, these are the people running for office that, that we know because of their history aren't doing it to screw up elections. They're doing it because they care about their communities. So nor like we, we, you know, I'm not above doing bad things to, in order to achieve the right goal. <laughs> However, 
in this instance, we're doing wonderful things. Uh, to, uh, we're, we're talking about positive things in order, in order to get people out to vote, in order to vote for the right people for county board. And so I can't emphasize enough again that early voting is now underway. There is one significant change. If you have used a Dropbox in the past, that is no longer available thanks to an activist judge in Waukesha County. Um, and so you have to go into to your clerk's office to vote early or get an absentee ballot and mail it back or just show up at the polls on April 5th. And if you want to know what's on your ballot, if you're registered, whatnot, go to myvote.wi.gov and you get all that information. It is one very easy, very handy website, myvote.wi.gov. When we come back, we are going to welcome Kirk's head of beer sales, um, otherwise known as his beer Sherpa, Emmanuel Reed. Kirk and Emmanuel will tell you a story about how small-time Oneida County politics changed Emmanuel's life dramatically. That's coming up right after the break. You're up north. Won't you let me die? I would highly recommend uh, that if you are only listening to this on the radio uh, and please support local radio, but go watch the video version of this so you can see my expression each week. Just when I see what Kirk has picked out for music, um, leave it to Kirk to have an employee on and choose chain gang for, for the, for the walk-up music. It's, no, uh, I, I was going to explain it, Pat. Like well, you know, there's a you, joke you, behind this. You can, you can try, but I don't think it's going to wipe <laughs> the stupid expression off my face. So getting back to my cue cards here, welcome back to the cabin. This is the up North podcast. I'm Pat Kreitlow along with Kirk Bankstead and Sarah Yacoub. With us now is Emmanuel Reed, the head of sales at the Monaco Brewing Company, otherwise known as the Progressive Beer Sherpa. Thank you for joining us, Emmanuel. Hey, how you doing, sir? All right. So this is a story. And the reason I wanted Emmanuel to come was for multiple reasons. One, we are in a, in a hotel in Minneapolis right now. We're on the same room. Uh, he's in my room. He's got a room right next to me. We're in a hotel in Minneapolis because we've been selling beer all day. And, and the reason I started thinking about bringing Emmanuel on the show was we're talking about uh, local elections. We're talking about county boards. And, and I was, I just put two and two together. I'm like, I'm like, I'm hanging out with E all day. I, he's, he goes by E for short, Emmanuel E. And I'm hanging out with E all day. And like, I can't think of a worse county board kind of thing that happened to a, to a human being that I love other than what happened to Emmanuel in Oneida County uh, when I, you know, was running the Monaco Brewing Company. So, uh, so I wanted to tell that story and uh, we're going to talk to Emmanuel and we're going to talk to have you guys question it, but this, this is how the story goes. So, you know, this is personal stuff, but, uh, but I don't, uh, I don't mind telling the story and Emmanuel doesn't mind. And I've asked him a bunch of times whether he's okay with the story. He's, he is okay with the story. Emmanuel, started he was an all-state all-star basketball player in milwaukee uh inner city milwaukee and he um got involved in a gang and uh there was a gang that dealt dealt drugs and he uh it was part of a robbery in the drug world that led to uh somebody dying 
and uh, he was uh, put in jail for 30 years through, you know, kind of being a part of that crime. And so I met Emmanuel as part of a prison release program in the McNaughton. So McNaughton prison is right next is in Rhinelander, uh, close to Rhinelander, right next to Monaco. And so I met E as uh, uh, as a potential worker for the Monaco Brewing Company. And when I met E, he worked faster than five human beings uh, in, in as a line cook. And even even talking about that chokes me up a little bit because I've never seen a human being work as hard or as fast or with more intent uh, to, to do the right thing and, and, and to help as E. So we became good friends. And, and to the point where he was no longer an employee, he was somebody who was part of the business, you know, in my mind, in my late wife's mind, Elizabeth, uh, he was, he was a member of the family. So when, right, right, brother. And so when, uh, when E got out of it, when E was finally, because you get put in McNaughton when you're on the, on the way out and because it's a very low, uh, it's a low, whatever, what's it called? low security security, uh prison because they're they're trying to you know make like get prisoners to like like kind of get used to being out in the real world reform back yeah 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 reforming back in the community so so he was a line cook and and when he was let out he was the best worker i've ever known so i offered him a a line a a sous chef job for thirty thousand dollars a year which is not a whole lot of money but it's pretty good in northern up north Wisconsin in the restaurant industry. And, and all that we needed to do was move him from the Milwaukee County uh, parole board to the Oneida County parole board. When I called his parole officer in Milwaukee, and by the way, he's been in jail for 30 years. So so Milwaukee is just as is just the same as Oneida. It's like wherever he, he's going, as long as there's a job there, that's like that's where that's that's where he wants to go. So so Milwaukee, his parole officer in Milwaukee was ecstatic. She's like, this is the best way, this is the best way that Emmanuel can land after you know going after paying his dues, serving time, which I honestly think is entirely too long. Uh, given the fact that he was 18 when this crime happened and and you know we all make huge mistakes when we're when we're 18 years old and so at the end of the day we uh we asked the oneida county parole board our parole world to uh to transfer they they refused they refused to do that and and i said what do you mean like what what other opportunities? I mean, he's got an he's got a job where he's got an employer that cares about him, and and and, and he's going to get paid. And what other you know what else do you want? And they're like, no, no. And so I I rose it up the flagpole. I, I talked to the head of the Department of Corrections for the entire uh, for the entire state, and they're like, it is our policy to not intervene in these issues and let local law enforcement make these decisions. So uh, I was stuck. So E was taken away from me uh, and, and he had to go get a job in Milwaukee uh, because the Oneida County Parole Board wouldn't accept him. Uh, and I was devastated by that. 
but it happened. He, worked, he went and worked for Cisco, made a bunch of money uh, in Milwaukee, Cisco delivering food, just like he had seen Cisco drivers deliver food to our place. And, uh, and, you know, and we became, we became good friends over the course of many years. Uh, and then finally, when, when COVID hit and, and I, you know, and, and, and I became a statewide company as opposed to a brew pub in Manaqua, I was like, E, you're working for Cisco, you're delivering food. Can you help me deliver the beer? And so, so we rejoined and now he's my, so, you know, he's my head of sales. Uh, he's the guy that, uh, is, is getting new accounts for me. And so that's, that's the story of what I think was a travesty of justice done by the old boys network of, of Oneida County and Manaqua. Uh, it, it, it separated us for many years. Uh, but now oh, we're back together. Um, and that's, that's the story. Emmanuel, why don't we hear from you now, you know, since this is your, your story, your life that was thrown into turmoil, uh, and, and then to add insult to injury, the county that was very happy to take, you know, taxpayer resources to be a warehouse for inmates, uh, decided they did not actually want to help any of these folks after they had paid their debt to society. Uh, this whole thing though, had to be a little surreal for you to, to have spent so many years, uh, in prison and to have, uh, have this Bubba from up North here be such an advocate for you. Um, probably not what you were expecting at the time. Uh, no, it wasn't because uh, Kurt and Elizabeth was my family. And that's all I knew during that time. So for them to reject me, I kind of was like, wow, two people that will help me in my life that I know will be there for me. You telling me I can't be with them now, you know? Mm-hmm. What astounds me in hearing your story um, and your, your perseverance is incredible um, and a role model to so many, but how short-sighted can Oneida and the Good Old Boys Network possibly be? I mean, you have someone who does everything right and who's repaid his debt and who's going to hit the ground and be a contributing member of society and you know, to put up a wall and make things that much harder and what is it that they expect of people? Uh, it's, you know, sending them out and setting them up to fail, essentially. I, I mean, you have a job, which is really hard to do. It's really, you know, especially before COVID, it's hard to get those jobs and to have a job like that. And to have somebody who could say yes, because they can say no, it just, I don't know, it's just a, a punch to the gut. Yeah. Well, Sarah, being honest with you, everybody in this world get rejected. It's just everybody get rejected in different ways. You know, you can't let rejection hold you down. You got to keep fighting for what you believe and what you want in life. So even though they rejected me, God made a way for it to happen another way. You know, so you just got to keep fighting and go around their ways and don't get discouraged and do nothing crazy. Just stay focused and it will happen. And I, I think that's so well said. And it's it, such a, a beautiful and very true sentiment. The part that just sort of sticks with me is we entrust public leaders, public servants to do the right thing, to be leaders in the community. And so they're supposed to like the path and make things better. So when they're acting contrary to, you know, God's light, God's love, you know, stuff mm-hmm. that you're talking about, it just, it doesn't make sense. And it doesn't sit well with me. Everybody 
has their own decisions. Everybody makes mistakes. However it goes, it just don't let it stop. Don't let nothing in this world stop you. If you believe in something, go for it. You know, E, this year we're, we're going to, uh, because it's an election year, uh, we know that Republican politicians have already tipped their hand, not just at the, the state level, but even at the, the national level in the, uh, you know, the, the nomination hearings for the, uh, for the next Supreme Court justice. Um, it wouldn't be an election signal if, we, if, if you know, uh, conservative politicians weren't scaring people about crime. Now, it's, it's, again, it's not that crime doesn't exist, but the fear factor that, that gets involved, uh, you know, is, is insulting, I, I guess, for lack of a better term. But having, you know, lived through the environment, if you could talk to these politicians who like to talk about crime, about what they could actually do to reduce crime, to, to give people a better future so that they don't have to turn to gang activity and, and crime? What, what are the kinds of things after all these years that you would tell politicians they should be doing instead of just trying to scare people? Well, I would tell them that they need to reach more into the communities. There's kids in the community that's looking for a way to be helped, but there's nobody around. There's not police officers driving through the community, stopping, talking to kids like that. Instead, kids are looking at other criminals. So what happened is that you have a population of criminals developing a younger population of criminals now. And it keeps escalating generation after generation because there's no one there to show somebody the right way out. So my thoughts are like the reason i played chain gang in in the beginning of this segment was because it's absolutely ridiculous for a guy like emmanuel reed uh to be incarcerated for 30 years and and so to me the 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 trauma of that and the and the injustice of that like i can only deal my own psyche can only deal with with such heavy and terrible things with humor. <laughs> and so I played Chain Gang because it's absolutely humor. It's humorous in a terrible way, in dark humor, that this man had to, had to spend 30 years in jail uh, and, and now is free and now is doing wonderful things for my company and, and for the world by supporting Progressive Beer. But what I think- I, it, I really thought, Kirk, it was some kind of a subconscious confession about what a terrible employer you are. That you really, <laughs> I mean- I really thought this was going to be the, the point where you apologize to him for whatever craptastic things you make him do. But what I want to do is, is, I mean, this is, this goes, this is, this is tethered to our County discussion, but um, you know, my, if, if I were to have a pet project, it would be, you know, after my one data point with Emmanuel, it's like, man, we gotta, we gotta do so much more in our justice system to, to, to make sure that the people getting out of prison are, are given a good landing pad because because we got screwed so bad on this on this one and he got screwed so bad on this one that I'm like I'm like there you know that so many other people are getting are getting hosed and uh, and so so that's my I mean a little pet project I got I want I want to work on this one. Hey, e, you uh, apparently turned into a real good line cook here. Is that was that something that was done right at the uh, correctional facility or how did how did you pick that up? Well, honestly, I had uh, took a culinary class uh, 
in uh, what was that, 1997 or something like that. I took a culinary class and I was served safe and everything. And cooking always been one of my passions. I love to cook anyway. So when they gave me a job out there at the Monaco Brewing Company, I was like, this right up my alley. So I came in, I worked it with civilians, but I wanted to show everybody that I was a harder worker than anybody he put in that kitchen. I wanted to prove myself in there. And I didn't want people to look at me as a guy from that correctional institution that can't do nothing. I wanted to be productive. So we get, we don't have time. I'm not going to tell the whole story, but, no. but there was one, there's one <laughs> moment where, uh, where, cause these guys got paid less because it's, they're part of a government program. So they got paid like seven bucks an hour. It was, it was, you know, I had to pay my other line cooks like $13 an hour. So he got paid less. And so it, was, it came down to bonuses. I didn't, you know, I didn't give E the same bonus I gave to the civilians because they were part of a government program. And E stood up for himself. And he said, Kirk, you know, and I know, and you know that I work harder than everybody else in this kitchen. And you gave me a smaller bonus. And I deserve a bigger bonus. I gave it back to him. <laughs> and and that's it, it makes me cry just thinking about it because I'm like you're right brother you're right you know you're right and so it changed my whole mind around about that. Well, I think anybody that's hearing this is is learning a lot from both of you gentlemen, and uh, that's why I know that apart from whatever hijinks are going on on the road there, uh, that these two men uh, in two hotel rooms in in one city are selling a lot of beer but also making a lot of friends um, that from, from knowing both of you now uh, through this segment, I don't see how anybody doesn't see that. And Emmanuel, thank you so much for, uh, for trying to prop up Kirk and make him seem like a decent businessman. It's a, yeah, right. <laughs> it's hard, but we can get it done. Well, you're a hard worker. See, that's how we get this done. So thank you so much. Uh, we will be back to wrap up the show in just a moment. You're up North. I hear you singing in the wire. Through the wine and the witch is still on the line. Welcome back. Before we go, we want to thank our hosts at Devil Radio 927, also WAUK 540 AM and the Shaw 101.1 FM. You can use the Devil Radio app to listen to our show on demand anytime, and you can find the video version on the Facebook page of the Monaco Brewing Company. And you can find uh, my daily work over at upnorthnewswi.com or search upnorthnewswi on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Stay up to date by uh, signing up for our daily newsletter as well, which features every day now. It used to be once a week. Now, we get so many photos sent in from folks, just gorgeous photos from around Wisconsin. We basically feature a photo of the day um, that, that people just send in of, of their corner of the state. It is a beautiful state, Kirk. And I, I, I dare, I don't know why you want to play this game of asking favorite County because that, I mean, for me, that'd be like choosing between my 72 children, you know, how do you, how do you, how do you pick one? But apparently you've, you've got, you've got, you've got one and uh, you're going to ask us for the rest. Yeah. So, I mean, the reason I said your favorite County, we're talking about County elections. We're talking about County board races. We're, we're talking about local stuff. And uh, I was like, you know, 
Like, I love Wisconsin, and I got to know Wisconsin, believe it or not, I was Jim Doyle's out-of-state field coordinator back when I was 22 years old, so I had to drive him in my Volkswagen Golf all over the, the darn Yikes. state. Wow. And, I, and I, I discovered parts of Wisconsin, you know, I was 22 years old, and I went to Massachusetts for college, so I didn't really see Wisconsin, and that's when I learned about Wisconsin. But uh, So that's why I wanted to go around the table and talk about it, but Honestly, even though I'm up north and I love uh, I love up the, up the 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 woods and the uh, the lakes, I I will never get over Trempolo County and how and how you just can see Lake uh, the Mississippi River and you can see just like across it's it just it's just gorgeous like like looking at Minnesota across across the river and just there's these bluffs and the the vistas are so beautiful in Trempolo. Uh, that I will never forget that. Uh, and I've been there quite a bit now uh, with selling beer. And so I, I love it every time I go. How about you, Emmanuel? Uh, I still love Oneida County, even though what happened to me up there, it is beautiful. I love it up there. It was my whole new start of life. I, I love the water. I love the wildlife. I love the, the people up there. You know, regardless of what happened, where I couldn't get up there, I still thought it was beautiful people up there. The land was beautiful. I, I would love to go back there today still. All right, Sarah. So I recently um, politely challenged the St. Croix County Board to do an audit into our family law system. And my favorite county is St. Croix County because they have the strength of character to have hard conversations that will ultimately help our children and survivors of trauma and move them forward. Um, they may not know it yet that they want to have these hard conversations, but I have faith in them that we can do it. <laughs> um, I, and Sarah, I, hold on, hold on, Pat. Sarah, I love you Nothing to do with like like hanging out in the county. It okay, had well, I was to do with like the people. Come on. Well, I mean, I would say I, I go up to Trollhagen and I, I try to, you know, not break my wrist on a snowboard. But, you know, you guys have covered the beauty of Wisconsin. So I figured I'd take a different angle. <laughs> there you go. All right. And, and I actually really thought you were just trying to, to punk me after the way I completely screwed up the conversation a couple of weeks back when I, I thought you'd said you'd never seen Oconto County which I thought was very weird. And of course, as we, as we established earlier in the broadcast, uh, I'm a, I'm a grandfather of four now. And so my hearing apparently gets worse with each one. We weren't talking about that. You'd never been to Oconto that you'd never seen Encanto. I finally watched that uh, this past week with my two-year-old grandson while we were waiting on the arrival of the, the granddaughter Um you know, I, I can say it's, it was it was okay. It probably was hyped up a, a little bit too much, but I couldn't help but think of what if the movie were actually set in o if Encanto were set in Oconto County. I think that that is something I would I would want to see. I, I would I would watch you don't that movie. Talk about Bruno, I, no, no, no. <laughs> we have another sing along with Kirk to 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 deal with here. So. Um, <laughs> We should go at this point. Emmanuel Reed, thank you so much for being our guest here. Thank you, Kirk. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Uh, come on back up and join us next week up north. Watch it.